All right. Hey, good morning, Crossroads family. How are you doing? It's good to see everyone this morning. We have a great and I think hope-filled message for you this morning about raising the next generation and uh, you know how we do that in a world that sometimes feels like it goes sideways. Um, but God gave us the blueprint for that in his word. And we're going to be speaking on that this morning um, up here with Bill. And then also there's going to be some, uh, some guest speakers that will be presenting some uh, ideas and options on, on how to raise up our children uh, in the current day. So really great and kind of a different format, but it's just really going to be very informative. And like I said, I think very hope-filled, which is we all need, we all need that, right? All right, let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for our youth. We don't want to be in that situation where another generation comes up behind us and doesn't know you. So we ask that, that we are given the guidance through properly interpreting your word and properly discerning the Spirit's movements in our lives in how we train up a generation that fears you and that learns from you. How do we bring a God-centered worldview into the educational lives of our children? We know that you, through your word, have given us instructions on who you want to train up the children and how they should be trained up. Just help us to really understand that and take that on. Assume that role as that, the, the bearer of good news, the gospel, through education to our children so that they know you. And we pray that this morning's music and this morning's time in the Word is edifying, that it brings us together as a body and helps us as a community to bring up our children in the ways of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Uh, starting, just the song we just finished uh, actually sets a tone for what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, and it actually divides the audience uh, almost immediately. Uh, but let me tell you what I mean by that. As, as followers of Christ, and we as a church, uh, we believe that there is a, a God who created everything that exists. We believe that this physical creation was spoken into existence by a God that so loves us that he created this reality, this physical reality, that we could come to know him. He sends his son into this reality. God's son comes to this earth to show God's love, to show who God is, and to walk among us. So this is the reality we're speaking from today as we talk about our desire to have the next generation know that simple truth. There is a God. He is the God of wonders who creates cosmoses in a word, and he created each and every child and person here. Uh, that's our worldview. This slide that we have up, uh, one of the definitions is worldview. When I see the world, when a Christian sees the world, he sees it through the lens that I just described and I just talked about. It's a, it's a comprehensive uh, conception of the world, especially from a specific viewpoint. That specific viewpoint is God's viewpoint, not mine, not any individual's. It's God's view. It's God's word. It's God's truth. Last week, we talked about that being revealed to us in many ways. It was, it's revealed to us in his Bible, his inspired word. 
uh, unchanging, inerrant, perfect word of God that adequately equips us for every good work. And he revealed himself in Jesus Christ. You know, one of these things uh, that, we, that we talk so much about is, is God's love for us, but his demonstration of that love is sending Jesus Christ. Not just to walk among us, not just to show us, because he clearly said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen God. But he showed and demonstrated his loves in ways that uh, are not theological statements in the physical death on the cross for the sins of the world, for my sins for the sins of every person who would adopt that worldview and adopt Jesus. So we're talking about that reality today. And we're talking about moving that reality from, uh, from, the, from God's word to our heart. And then as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, uh, whatever it is to the next generation. So Jesus made him a promise, to, a promise to each of us, if we abide, remain, connect with his word. Uh, revealed to us through the Holy Spirit, revealed to us through the Bible, if we connect intimately and let that word live in us, then we'll know the truth. Because we live in an age where truth is the question. What is truth? Pilate asked when they were crucifying Jesus. And, and we hear today fake news, fake truth. Uh, there's an interesting combination. Uh, all this stuff is going on, lies flow, and we have to discern what's true. And so Jesus said, if you're my disciple, you abide in my word in the Bible, then, then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set us free, set us free from lies. Ultimately, as a follower of Christ, if we commit our lives, then we're set free from sin, the guilt, the shame, and we have entry into heaven. Uh, but there's a challenge to each of us. Don't be conformed to this world. Every day, the world comes out to conform us to their image. Talking heads spin their philosophies. Uh, uh, experts in one field or another, even teachers in the, when we're talking a lot about the public school system, they have a philosophy. And they spin it and they send it out. And so the world is constantly trying to transform us through the internet, through news, through talking heads. But we're commanded to train up a child. This is to a culture, for sure, but to parents specifically and those involved directly in the raising of children. Raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from us. Now, in the way he should go, well, there's a lot of opinions, and we'll air some of those today, and we'll talk about the way he should go. The secular worldview has a way we want to raise our kids, a philosophy. God has a philosophy in a way that, that he wants the next generation raised. These two are in conflict. They're at war. We see it all the way around us. We may not recognize that, but it's taking place around us. Train up a child the way he should go. But now this training, we'll come back to this as we go on, is, is not a passive, let them find their natural goodness on the inside and live it out. It's to train, to form, even to the point of discipline, to bring them to a point where they understand, where we save their lives, really. Because here, I'm just going to do a quick analysis. We, anyone who knows anyone, do you want your friends, your children, the next generation, to be self-centered, selfish, egotistical, controlling little brats that run your home? I don't think so. That's, what, that's the potential if we let them go. In it, in it, when we call it a child-centered home, a two-year-old can put a reign of terror on a home. And some of us have watched it 
and maybe some of us have experienced it, uh, the, the approach of that. So this is what we're talking about today. This is where we're going. This is huge because it defines the next generation. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be talking a lot about this, and, and I'm going to just say this right away. We're going to say a lot about the secular system and assist the secular worldview that's passed on in schools, by media, and all that other stuff. As I talk about the school, the disclaimer, I'm not talking about the Sierra Sands uh, Unified School District. I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about the teachers that dedicate their lives to teaching our kids. I am not talking about them. I'm talking about the philosophy that flows into those schools that they have to follow. The curriculum is defined not locally, but somewhere else. But let me give you my perspective. And I'm going to be quick about this because uh, it's in hugely important. But uh, the, the truth is, I, I'm an old dude. There's no surprise to anyone there. Uh, this keeps up. There's going to have to be an elevator to the uh, stage. Uh, but we're told to train up a child in the way you should go. Uh, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. Don't fathers, parents, people in authority, don't provoke your kids to wrath. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. But here's truth. Abraham Lincoln said it a couple hundred years ago almost. He said, uh, the philosophy of the schoolroom, the philosophy, the worldview that I just described, that of one generation in the schoolroom, that will define the philosophy of the government, the attitude, the worldview of the government in the next. So, okay, I've watched multiple generations. I've watched the greatest generation, my, my grandparents, uh, immigrants to this country, my parents. Uh, I watched the world grow up. I've, I've watched that silent generation. I'm a baby boomer born in 1943. Yes, I'm that old. Uh, thanks for laughing. I appreciate that. Uh, I know you laugh because you're so shocked that I'm okay. Never mind. Uh, and and so I, I became part of this generation. And then Generation X is upon us, the millennials. Everyone talks about them. Gen Z, Alpha, those who were born. Here's here's the here's what I, the point. I have watched the philosophy of our nation change. I have watched parenting philosophy change. I have seen these things take place. When I grew up, if you're under 40, you won't believe what I'm about to say. I never heard a child talk back to an adult. I never saw misbehavior in a classroom in 12 years of high school all the way through college and, and subsequent things afterwards. I never saw it take place anywhere. I was in the Marine Corps. I certainly didn't hear a lot of talking back in there. It wasn't there. There was a respect for age and authority. Uh, what was different back in the day? We had Christmas plays. We had prayer. We had God. We had the Ten Commandments hanging on the wall. There was a general consensus of a moral absolute reality that we were bouncing up against. We knew the, all of these things were true. We, we didn't question it. It wasn't personal truth. This is, well, there's a God, and, and he's spoken into our world. This was our reality. That changed. It changed uh, mostly, uh, actually we'll talk about why it changed, but uh, as we go along, but it started, started to change. New uh, prophets started to speak into it uh, over, over the culture of my life for 70 years. Uh, and I've been a Christian counselor for 40 years. I've counseled three generations. 
I've counseled parents trying to raise their kids. Later, I counseled their kids. They didn't do a good job. They got me. And then so they, it keeps getting passed on. But this reality of passing it on from generation to generation, I've seen it. I've watched it. You know, these are the things that take place. You know, so how did that happen? How, how did we go from a God-centered culture, really, to a godless culture? I'm saying that right now, and I'm going to try and prove it over the next several minutes. How did that happen? Uh, Let's, let's talk about this, uh, that, that up until the baby boomer generation, God, prayer, the Bible, the Ten Commandments were central part of public education and school for our children for the next generation. They grew up with it. Now, just data point, keep this with you. The school system over a 13-year period will have 16,000 hours of teaching, instruction, of philosophy and doctrine to the next generation. Let me say that again, 16,000 hours. They will sit in these classrooms and they will absorb the philosophy, the truths that are given to them. That should, that should say that's important, let's pay attention. Okay, so what, what's the problem? Well, the problem is that for thousands of years, the philosophy of the local classroom was defined by the teachers and the parents that were in that community. It was a very local, whether it was done in a synagogue, whether it was done in a one-room schoolhouse for all grades, whether it was done in a local school district that I grew up in, where my mother was absolutely involved in everything that took place. It was a hands-on, making sure that our values and truth were passed on to them locally. With the growth of the national government under FDR in the 1930s, the New Deal started to control education for the next generation. Uh, it was centralized in Washington, D.C., the Department of Education. Now approves and enforces educational standards, enforces uh, and the curriculum uh, at the national level, sending it down to the local school districts. Curriculum and learning goals and the philosophy of the Department of Education is now the philosophy of the classroom. Oh, where does it come from? It comes from 3.2 million teachers in the National Education Association. Now, I throw their name out there. It is not like going, those guys. There's some committed teachers. But the philosophy of that generation by generation of the leadership in the government at different places has transformed from a Christian worldview to a secular worldview. How did that happen? Well, the NEA, with the help of activist judges, have banned prayer. That happened in my lifetime. They, they took the Bible out. They took the Ten Commandments because they clearly said some student might read it and obey them. We can't have that. It wasn't the commandments. It was the fact that there was a, a moral absolute statement of right and wrong because it was transferred during this time. The definition of truth, the definition of right and wrong was transferred from parents or from God and from parents to the student. The student became king. We went from a God-centered to a child-centered culture, uh, in, and that is what the NEA teaches, 3.2 million. The most powerful union in this country today that defines where we are is that union. Okay, Bill, what, what happened there? We have transitioned curriculum and the philosophy of the classroom comes from this powerful union that cannot be changed. If, they, if any school district chooses 
to not obey that when they get reported, there's a few that sneak under the radar and continue with traditional education. But as soon as they're found, they're taken to court and they're punished for it. And the government and the state, federal government, state government controls the funding. If you do not agree to their party line, they take funding away. Instant threat that, that, that brings everyone about. So what happened? The gospel of Jesus Christ has been veiled to our students and our kids going through school. How did, how, how did that take place? The gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this world, and that is Satan, that is the other spiritual force that's at work here in our country, who doesn't want God spoken of, has blinded the minds of students and unbelievers to keep them from seeing the gospel. What can be known about God is plain. Now, this is where, first, I'm just going to make this first point and, and then, then leave it alone because we talk about it often enough. God's main manifestation of his existence was given last week. It's creation. All that exists was spoken into this reality by God. Each person here was specifically designed and made by God. They will not allow the teaching of creationism in the school system. They will only allow the accidental random mutation process which has been scientifically proved to be impossible. They're, they have found totally lacking fossil support, which Darwin said would be right there. All they have to do is find them. This ability to go from species to species, you can adapt survival of the fittest. All these things are true, but there's not new species taken out uh, that is not in the original gene pool. It's even human beings. We, we look at this and we go, well, what does that mean to me? Well, the truth is there wasn't Adam. There wasn't Eve. If you look at human DNA, once they unpacked the human genome, what they found out was that all people came from a common descent. All races are, in, are resident in each person. Uh, prejudice is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. If you put it in the context that we're all children of God. All of us. So this, this reality, so they, but they have to take it away. They have to take that away. Why? Because if that's there, then they look to God. So they, though they knew God, all the evidence points to God, but they don't honor him giving thanks. Claiming to be wise, they become incredibly foolish. And here it is. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the cre creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. This Religion of humanism is the doctrine that's being passed on for the last four generations into the children that grow up uh, in 16 hours. Uh, what is the result today? Humanism, the doctrine, worldview centered on humans and human values. In 2022, right now, and this group is representative, 67% uh, of parents who call themselves Christians have also come to false teaching and at this point, only 6% of them have a Christian worldview. 6% of the parenting people in our country that call themselves Christians have a Christian worldview. Oh, and it says only 2% are biblical Christians. Last week, we talked to the difference between 6 and 2. 6% 6 see the world through God's lens. Only 2% follow it. These are times of challenge to each and every one of us. Uh, so over 60 years, the philosophy has totally changed. 
Please see last week if you have any questions on that. It changed from predominantly Christian to currently what we find uh, today, a secular humanist philosophy being taught. Uh, and Abraham Lincoln was right. Humanism and godliness or godlessness has taken over the school systems and is taught. Now, again, the disclaimer, this is, this is not specifically uh, pointed at teachers or anything else. All credit to them uh, to stay in there, particularly in a hostile environment that teachers are now working in, in a secular environment, if you hold to Christian teachings. We have several teachers that will verify that as we go on. So, uh, and quite honestly, as you look at the kids and the students surviving, in the secular world system, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And trust me, they're persecuted. Just ask some of them what's taking place. And there's a, there's a dissatisfaction of those that are being persecuted right now. Uh, just a couple of Christian posts. Uh, one of them came up, an article, that they, in a school district, they, they looked at the, the difference in the culture, uh, why, why students are being taught some of these things inside of them, and 60% of the people were dissatisfied. 60% of the parents said, stop teaching that stuff. Only 27% said, oh, that's okay. Uh, keep going. Uh, they told pollsters that they're dissatisfied with the ways they're taught on issues relating to sexual preferences, gender identity, uh, and only 23% thought that was good, but the overwhelming majority said no. Another protest broke out in... Uh, uh, California, would you believe California's liberal? It just shocked me when I read this. But in Norwalk, at John Glenn High School, they, they set aside a room, and the, the school board had decided to open a Planned Parenthood in the school so they could distribute uh, birth control, uh, counseling, advice, also a pathway, because this room was going to be used by Planned Parenthood. So it was a clear path to abortion without parental permission. They encourage them to talk to your parents, but they can do it without you ever knowing it. Uh, the, luckily, this, the parents push back. There's a dissatisfaction on this. This humanist philosophy of the NEA, progressive education. Uh, what, what are we talking about as we do this? Well, we went from number one in the world to number 39. I always point this out because I just love saying the word. The, the nation above us, Skabovia. I love saying Skabovia is beating us out or running race with us in this thing. Uh, our education has come to the point that we're into social indoctrination and transformation instead of education. The social agenda is there. Sex education incurring ex encouraging experimentation. It's encouraging experimentation. Uh, if you follow safe sex rules, go have as much as you can. The problem is that the direct, there's a direct correlation between the hours spent in sex education and the very problems that they're trying to solve. The more sex education, the more sexually transmitted diseases, the more abortions, the more date rapes, the more dysfunction that takes place in there. Uh, outside of marriage. LDB, LGBTQ indoctrination is now required from kindergarten to third grade in California. And you do not get informed as a parent. It is not sex education to teach inclusiveness where they ask students, K3, how do you feel today? 
the anatomical, your anatomy does not define sex. Your birth certificate doesn't define sex. The, in your trillions of genes, X, Y, that doesn't define sexuality. It's how you feel. How do you feel that day? And they have to honor that with the proper pronouns or they'll lose their job. This is radical stuff taking place. Every time they teach mental health, uh, suicides, depressions, all of these things continue to produce a very fragile generation. Teachers now come to the school and blame the teacher for the student's misconduct. And, and right now, inside of that, many of them, the, uh, are re many schools require police. Now, how committed is the NEA to the LGBTQ, to the sex education, to the liberal philosophies that are there. We're gonna watch a short clip, 30 seconds, of the president of the NEA speaking to a rally of the, this last year of the NEA. So earlier this month, the NEA Teachers Union held their annual convention in Chicago and a Democratic campaign rally broke out. I can't duplicate that look. He was shocked. Uh, to validate who they are so they can walk in their authenticity of how they feel that day. So that they can love themselves. The big theme you'll pick up as we go through is making sure we love ourselves. Well, let's, let's go to some solutions and some hope. First off, parents, you're the hope. You, you are the hope. And the truth is, what you, if you don't teach them, someone else is going to. Whether it's in school, whether it's through TikTok, whether it's through online things. Uh, he says to his disciples, Jesus says, the temptations are going to come. Uh, woe to the person that brings them. I love this, this statement off to the side. If we don't teach our children who God is, someone else will teach them everything that he isn't. 16,000 hours of teaching our kid that God doesn't exist. He has no power, has no authority. This is a challenging time. And it's very simple. Parents, you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and might. And, and these words, command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. It's the parents, the adult responsibility to pass on to the next generation. So what does that do for us? God is clear. Parents, it's our job. Anyone in the community, the Christian church, it's our responsibility to tell the truth. Uh, many people don't like it when we proclaim the truth like that, and I'm sure there's people here that don't. But that's what we're called to do. Well, first off, the teaching, the philosophy of humanism is there are no spiritual forces. There is no God. There is no reality. Because if they acknowledge God, they have to make him God of their lives. The wicked boast, there is no God. Justice and, and uh, righteousness, they, they stand far away. Truth has stumbled. Truth has been canceled by lies. This is the face of, of the problem that sits in front of us. The supposition, laws, theories of evolution, all of these things.
Continue to come at it. But here's the big one. This is, if you hang on to anything, hang on to this one. It's the deification of man. Man becomes the measure of all things. The human being is the most evolved uh, entity on this earth, not God. It's man. I get to decide. I am my own God. And this is what's been taught to him. Uh, this is whatever you wish others to do to you. Uh, do this to them. This is God's word speaking. It's in the law and the prophets, which were banned from school. But the way is narrow and few, 2%. By the way, just for your information, uh, under 30, there's 1% biblical Christians in our country. Under 20, it's zero. Think of the next generation that's coming up from that. Man is not the measure of all things. God is. Man does not become the source of truth, his personal truth. Uh, man is, is not the one who says what's right and wrong for him. He defines his own worth and image and his self-righteousness and his self-esteem. Uh, how did this happen? Let's look at this. It says right on there, uh, look out for false prophets. Oh, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They look so good. They sound so cool. They're way good. They got the best spot on the view and all of those talking heads, but they're really ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Now, here's the heart of man is deceitfully wicked is what God says. God says that man's heart is wicked. We're sinners. We'll come back to this in the parenting process in a minute, but men are sinners in this particular case. The secular system says, no, man is the answer of all things. You know, the strange thing is I believed that for 33 years. I believe I was so cool that anyone around me was blessed. If they disagreed with me, they were obviously wrong and didn't recognize my wisdom. Uh, this self-esteem movement that's there. Who are the false prophets? Let's talk about a few of them. One of the basic ones that formed, these. now get this. These are the voices that form the culture we live in and the parenting practices that are encouraged and used by modern psychology, the school system. Dr. Benjamin Spock, 1946, wrote a book on child parenting. A hundred million copies were sold. The very simple humanistic principle is that your kids are basically good, don't mess them up by disciplining them. If you just let them go, they're going to naturally find a path that will lead to success in this world. Do not train or discipline them. That was Dr. Spock. By the way, uh, 100 million copies before he died, he said he was wrong. They're still selling the books. They're still enforcing the principle. Uh, the next one uh, that comes up is Sigmund Freud. Modern psychology is based on the goodness of man. If, if your student or your son or yourself, the, you do something wrong, it, it, that happens. It's because you were abused. It was because you, it was what your parents did. Freud, your dities are on too tight. Your id is squeezed. <laughs> All of this just blames other people. And uh, the next one, just, just quickly, there's just so much, you, you got to know, uh, Lewis Rowles in 1950 took over the school system, talked about it last week, with a program called Values Clarification, where each student was the Ten Commandments are thrown out, 
Each student will write what he thinks is true in each social issue. And the teacher would instruct him, you don't have to agree with me, you don't have to agree with your parents, you don't have to agree with your pastor, for heaven's sakes, not him. Uh, but what do you personally feel about what murder, abortion, uh, gay, what do you personally feel? Because that's truth to you and no one can change it. See the damage of that in our culture today. Finally, at the top of the list is Abraham Maslow, the most influential voice in our culture today. He says that the most important thing is to love yourself. You should have high self, you should esteem yourself above all things. And that way, if you have self-esteem, you can have self-actualization. You can become the person you want to be and change the culture around you. Isn't that great? Now, God, by the way, is very interested in self-esteem. He doesn't care if it's a high self-esteem or a low self-esteem. He wants an accurate one. If these humanists would compare themselves to God's word, they would see that in their behavior, it's not so good in his eyes. But what's the big point about all of these false prophets? They're all atheist. They all have a worldview that says God is not a factor. And it's taught to our kids. It has been for three generations. This is something that each parent needs to understand and come back. I'm going to use one more series of verses because it's one of the most important principles in parenting. We said that they say kids are basically good. God says folly, foolishness, stupidity, uh, disobedience, all that is bound up in the heart of a child. Oh, you don't just let them go do their thing and let that out? No. The rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Train up a child, which includes discipline, in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. Oh, therefore the Lord does not rejoice uh, over their young men and, and, and has no compassion on their fatherless widows, for everyone is godless and an evildoer. Every mouth speaks folly. He's saying, this is sin. All of this stuff, we're sinners. Now, what, is, what, is, what does this important thing have to do? I'm just going to do this quickly, but if you've ever attended a Christian parenting class, the battle that takes place, we're told, clear statistics, that a human's worldview, a kid's worldview, starts by the age he's two. And then by the age of 13, it's formed. That's why 95% of all people come to Christ before they're 13. Sixth grade. After that, they're on a path of humanism, and it, they may, like myself, be redeemed at 33. But we're the minority. This, this worldview, and this quickly, if you haven't had a child and raised a child, I've done parenting counseling, but the biggest reason for anger in parenting is you forget the nature of your child. He is a sinner rat dog. He wants his own way, he is selfish, he is self-centered, and at some point in that two-year period, he goes from crying to express needs for crying to express control. And many of us, I was shocked when I saw my first child-centered home. The little two-year-old ran the show. Actually, he wasn't even two at that time, year and a half. He ran the whole show. He was the center of attention. Isn't he cute? Acting out, cutting in front of everyone, speaking parent. Oh, isn't he cute? My wife and I left there and said, what happened to that? 
Who turned that monster loose? Because I had never seen one. And at that point, I was probably uh, sneaking up on, on 30 plus years. Never seen it. And yet most homes today are child-centered. They, if, a, if a teenager doesn't like his way, he puts a mood toot on in the living room and the whole family goes into a funk until they appease him. It's an emotionally driven child that runs the home. Child-centered. And most of the people start recognizing that at two years old, that's when I get a lot of counselors, and I come in and I say, the first thing you need to know, and the reason why you get angry and disciplined, you don't know his nature. He's just a sinner. And number two, you do not have a, a plan for discipline or a plan for growth. Leave it alone, but each one evaluates your own world. That's where the worldview comes from. So what, what, what does this tell us? Well, it tells us very simply that we need options. And that's what the rest of our time is going to be about, options. Because there are options. We as a church, and I'm just speaking for myself and, and the church corporate, uh, we believe that the real hope for the next generation is for those who are prior to sixth grade, under 13 now. If there's anything we can do to facilitate parenting, any cost, any energy, any room allocations, we've got two homeschools uh, meeting in our facility right now. We'll put as many as possible. We've got, we're going to hear some people come up, talk about the leadership in that and others in their home. For, there's homeschooling is taking place. So in other words, not, not forced, but just seeing the damage of the culture and removing their kids from it. Uh, tables all around the back. Please stop and ask questions. This is going to be a, a major emphasis continuing over the years as we go forward. Uh, homeschool options inside of our uh, or not, or, or Christian options. Emmanuel Christian School. There's flyers in the back that actually will talk about where you can go send your kids. San Ann has a, a, a Christ-centered program over there. Uh, but homeschooling. We're going to watch a short video that introduces the concept. Listen to the words from a parent. You're not inadequate. You are perfectly capable. I mean, what is it about a parent that when their child turns five, all of a sudden the parent's no longer a viable option? Like, oh, you're done. Now it's the school's turn. I think the quality of education has steadily deteriorated in America. There is an agenda to steal our children. You feel inadequate because you've been taught by our school system that you're inadequate. We had no frame of reference for homeschooling other than it just seemed like torture. Like why would a sane woman choose to be locked up with her kids for 18 years in a row when a school bus would come and take them away and give you like a nine hour break every day? No one knows your child better than you do, and no one loves your child more than you do. And homeschooling changes the game on everything. Homeschooling allows us to say to the child, what sort of life do you want? What sort of God-given dreams, talents, and abilities is he speaking into you? you know, when we think about classroom education and we ask what makes for good education, almost every professional educator will say low student-teacher ratio, teachers who care, good methods, good curriculum. 
Well, in homeschooling, you get the best of all of those things. What we discovered is that it's very efficient to homeschool. You have the person who knows the student the best. You have the ability to customize the curriculum around the student. You have a great student-teacher ratio. And I realized I am accomplishing with Sierra in 25 minutes to an hour every day what it's taking the school system eight hours a day, five days a week to accomplish with my older daughter. I loved watching the, the light bulb come on and watching her want to sit down and read with me. And I loved spending time with her. There's just so many benefits, including being able to have a relationship with your own children. Continue doing what you're doing. Don't give up, because I do believe that homeschool moms are America's greatest heroes. Do we get the opportunity to introduce rebels and those who go against the stream and push back against the system. Uh, but we have that honor today. Uh, this is Brian and, and Jen Eck. They, uh, she leads the classical conversation in our school. And so they're just going to share it. And so other people will come up and share what they have. We're excited for the opportunity to get to talk to you this morning. Um, we, when we got married and when we were getting ready to have our first child, we hadn't even considered homeschooling. Um, you know, I think our philosophy of education was just do what, as far as we know, had always been done. Our parents had gone to homeschool, they sent us, or to public school, they sent us to public school, and that was pretty much our plan. Um, spoiler, we didn't do that. We actually homeschool. But how did that happen? How did we like make this pretty radical leap to something completely different? Um, and the short answer is God. He put a friend in our lives that kind of put a bug in our ear, and uh, through his consistent um, prodding, he really convicted our hearts that we were able to teach our own kids. And um, not only were we able to, we enjoyed it. And um, well, we had the Deuteronomy verse up here earlier that talks about, you know, really talking with your kids, educating them, teaching them diligently in all times, you know, as you're sitting in your home, as you're walking by the way, as you're lying down. And we found that that is exactly what our life with our kids looked like um, prior to, like, prior to when we would have to make a formal educational decision, you know, like, we did. We talked to them all the time about all kinds of things with an intent to train them and to teach them how to see the world and how to react to the world and how to react to us and each other. And we ended up just really falling in love with it. Um, the more we did it, the more we wanted to keep doing it. And so when they reached a formal school age, we decided to homeschool. Um, we found a classical conversations group and have been educating with them um, in a community ever since. And it has really blessed us to be able to choose how we educate our kids and to choose an education where in those conversations, God is the center of every one of them. Um, he's not just a subject that's added on. He is in the center of our math and he's in the center of our reading and our writing and um, everything that we do and our, our school is all day long, um, well, not necessarily book work, but you know, all of our conversations are teaching and training up our children. And just the more that we continue, the more we are convinced that that is um, God's plan for how to bring up our children to know him best. Yep, so, um, so the community that Jen and I are a part of now has um, really space for students that are all the way up into eighth grade, ninth grade. So 
Um, the community's really grown here in town for classical conversations. Um, and she'll be back at the booth, and I'll be back there too to answer any questions you have about that specifically, or just homeschool in general. Jen knows a ton just about how to homeschool in California. Um, but then I just wanted to say that God has an opinion about how we educate our children, so we should have one too. And by that I mean we should have a theology of education, understand how God wants us to bring up our kids and the fear and admonition of him. It's not an inconsequential choice. It's something that impacts them for the rest of eternity. So it's something we should take very seriously and consider through God's word and his Holy Spirit. Thank you very much. Pass the mic off, the baton. Yeah, radicals. Again, there's going to be questions in the back, and you can ask these questions for yourself. You can ask these questions for relatives that you have. Please, we're trying to spread information. I think as parents find and, and look for a, a way out. Oh. Said we had to stand in the same spot as last night. Okay, this is the same. They did so well in these spots. Uh, this, this is this, this is uh, uh, many of you here, Nick. This is his wife, Kelsey, uh, that's up here now. They started uh, actually created out of just a need, and you're going to share that need. The yeah, educational you, program. Yeah, you mentioned last night we started flat-footed, and as you know, I, I'm Nick, and I'm Kelsey. All right, we got that straight. Um, and I really am married, see? Y'all didn't think so. Um, anyway, we, we did start very flat-footed. We, we grew up a little different and doing our own deal. Um, we thought we could rule the world. We were, we were very much um, millennials, as, as uh, you, could, you could maybe point out. But, but then we found out God was really real. And that verse that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. That became our driver. That, that was now everything. And we didn't have kids, but, um, but then we did. And our, our entire lives from that moment on has been one chunk at a time, one conscious decision to, to do and hear what God wants us to do and to trust him with it. And that has been way cool. So we, we had kids. We had Emma. And she was our child. We want to teach her stuff. We want to do stuff with her. It's, we're her parents. It's what we do. But then we had a, a Jack and a Zoe and a Ben. It's four. Yeah, I know because of the stickers. Four kids. And, um, and so now all of a sudden we got four kids. And some of them are school-aged. And we had to start thinking about how are we going to teach them. Because education is hugely important to us. We're, we're, uh, we've both been to college and, just, and, and got so much out of our education and the things we've learned and the ability to think critically. And so that was huge. But because of everything Bill said a few minutes ago, we felt the exact same way. And we had the opportunity to do it different. Um, and so we took that opportunity. And Kelsey has, has just run this so well. And so I have to give her the mic now. All right, so, um, yeah, so how it started, kind of what Nick said, Emma, um, we already knew we wanted homeschool, and Emma turned four, and so we did. We started preschool, and at that point, it was mostly just us doing it as a family, and um, just the circumstances around us, I, it was a, the same year that COVID started, so by the end of that year, um, a lot of our friends and just the people around us were also trying to make decisions on school, and a lot of them were leaning towards homeschool, but um, none of us really knew how to do it. We were all kind of scared, and it's intimidating, and where do you start? Um, and we all had all of those doubts, our own doubts, that make you think, like, how am I going to do this? I don't know how to do this. So um, 
we talked a lot about it that year, and we all kind of just decided, why do it alone? So that's really how it, how we came together um, and decided to do it, to try to do it together. Um, so we did. We got together, and we started trying to figure out what it would look like, and there were a lot of challenges. There still are, um, but even at, at the beginning especially, I guess, finding curriculum and um, just being a teacher, like, how do we do that? We're not teachers, and... Um, making sure that we're legal and all of those things, getting organized. So those were all challenges. They're still challenges. And really, the, it was just, it's work to get through those things. And there are a ton of resources when you're trying to figure out what to teach and how to te teach. And a lot of people who have done it and are doing it, and they can tell you what they like and they don't like. So that's always, um, that was a big help for us. Um, but ultimately, I think for all of us, we knew that that was where God put us. And we were supposed to do it, and so we just tried, and that's what we're still doing. So, um, yeah, that's how we came together. Last year was our first year doing it together, um, and we all teach. We all get together, and we prep for school, and we teach, and we all get to discipline. And um, But we all, it's really fun because we all love each other, and we all love the kids a lot. So, yeah. And, and I just want to say, I have never seen a group of teachers more committed and devoted to the kids' education. That has been, like, so cool. And, and Kelsey wants me to invite everyone to come ask questions to any of the homeschool groups and find out, is there anything we could do to help you get started or, or join one of them or whatever. It's If you get the opportunity, why not take it? Not everyone does, but if you do, yeah, let us help if we can. Thanks, Mr. Bill. Okay. Uh, do I get to keep the mic? Do you have a mic? Everyone's got a mic but me. Uh, uh, okay, there you go. Now, just a, a, a quick note. Uh, both these communities started uh, initially almost flat-footed, and now they've turned into communities of, of dozens in, in, in many cases. They get together as a family. They have a small group to get together in Nick's case. Uh, classical conversations all get together in a mob, and I say mob in a loving way, uh, once a week, and then they do it in home. So it's a great thing. Sally represents our promised land. Once a week, we have a dedicated group, good representative here with Sally, uh, that loves your kids. So you're going to start with that line. Hi, I'm Sally, and I teach up in Promised Land. I'm one of the, the many teachers up there. And uh, for those of you who have kids who haven't taken advantage of that, it's, it's a great opportunity. We are the, you know, Sunday school, but we call it Promised Land. And um, just a couple of things. First off, we love teaching about Jesus. And second of all, we love your kids. So we have a lot of fun up there. Um, there's a lot of resources that we can help you with as far as... A, teaching your child about Jesus and about God. Uh, one of them is the home front, and I, I don't think a lot of parents know about this. It's You can pick one up just as you go upstairs. There's a big bulletin board there, and it is our curriculum. So you can actually see what we are teaching each week, and it, it, this covers July and August. Uh, there are games in there that go along with what we're teaching and recipes, a lot of fun stuff. Um, we... I'm in the great room, we call it, which is what you hear. When you hear those pounding feet, that's us. That's the great room. And uh, it's kindergarten through fifth grade. And uh, one of the kids that was thinking that she was just, you know, a little too big for the great room and she wanted to stay down with her parents came down here one Sunday. And she came back the next week and she was so disappointed. She goes, they're teaching the same stuff down there. 
And I went, yeah, it's the same book. And it was just... So we, we have devotionals at each week that we send home that's kind of a homework and just a chance for you to see what they learn. So instead of just saying, what did you learn in Sunday school or what did you learn in Promised Land, you can actually, you have a guided piece of paper that goes with it. And we have a lot of fun activities and we, we just enjoy them. Yeah. Parents being involved. One of the things, just let, if you have kids in this age, and one of the biggest challenges when I was raising my kids as a new Christian, I didn't need curriculum. I needed some help. They give you study guides. And you can pick and choose in it what you want to talk to your kids about, but talk to them. Let them see your faith and your reality. Uh, that parents are still the most important influence in kids' lives. And that extends all the way up and past 18 years old, by the way. Uh, so our, our words have impact. Now, what if, I, I just talked about all the options that are there. I, I'm going to uh, say something to, to those who choose public education. This is not a sin. This is an option that you have. But, but if you do that and you train up a child in the way you should go, do not send your kids to public schools as a lamb for sacrifice. Because that will happen if you do not arm them up. The word is clear for us as parents. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Teach your kids to put on the whole armor of God so they'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil and the false philosophies that are burying them over there. Parents, you should be able to defend creationism. You should be able to defend the existence of God, the inspiration of the scripture. Not in big, long sermons or anything else, but the information is available. If we can help, let us know. The next generation will define the philosophy of the one that follows in government. And I quite honestly am challenged if there's how much of another generation we have if we don't turn this boat around and turn it around radically and do some uh, educational indoctrination revolution for the next generation. Uh, and it's up to us. It's not out there. It's not across the street. It's not any other place. It's in parents, family, and friends. Just join me in prayer, please. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that, that you're the God that speaks truth that you make truth available to all of us. Lord, we, we salute and celebrate the pioneers who love their kids enough to teach them, to stand against a system that is enforced at multiple levels and ways and the persecution that takes place. But Lord, thank you that you give strength, courage, and wisdom to those who want to follow your command to raise their children in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you'll give them everything they need. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.